0: Hey, folks, we're going to be on page 22, I believe, as I'm looking in my book, page 22, which is the second lesson in this series. We're actually looking in the book of 1 John. It's chapter 2 today, so uh, anybody need a book? I've got a couple more here, and there's some in the hallway as well. Everybody good? Okay. Okay. Sure good to see you today. I trust that the Lord has been giving you grace for every day that you're being able to see the new things that He's doing. Folks, if you're joining us by way of YouTube this morning, turn in your Bibles at home to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, okay? Thank you for your diligence and choosing to be a part of uh, the Bible study, even though you may be at home and uh, can't get here. We're extremely glad that you still have a, a means whereby to, to link with us here, okay? And those of you who are in the building, praise the Lord for you. This is one of the larger groups we've had in a while, and we're glad you're here. Uh, if, if you are not familiar with the book that we're using, it's called Bible Studies for Life. In for six weeks, usually in what we call a quarter, they'll take a theme, and the first six weeks of this quarter, the theme there is six things we can know for sure, and then after that we'll be looking at walking in confidence. So from now through October the 10th, we're looking in 1 John, and we're studying from the theme of six things we can know for sure. Now, you've probably heard that said in many ways in your journey of life. People have uh, probably said things that we don't even want to remember. However, there are some things biblically that we can know, and uh, there's, there's where we're going with that this morning, Okay. Let's pray as we get started. Father, You are our teacher today through Your Spirit. Don't let me neglect the fact I'm just here as a voice. I'm just a, an arm, and extension, Lord, of what You are doing today. God, speak to all of our hearts, not just those in this building, but those who are listening by means of the Internet, YouTube, And I pray for uh, that as well today. Bless those men and women, Lord, who aren't able to be here, can't be here. And I pray somehow we'll uh, be able to get the message and the Word to them. Bless now these next uh, minutes together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the writer in his introduction started by talking about life has a way of surprising us. And can't we all say that uh, amen to that? He begins by talking about uh, in 2020, uh, you know, with the virus, all of us, uh, our our patterns greatly got uh, distorted there, okay? Uh, He said one day parents were dropping off kids at school, the next day schools were closed. Then he talked about one day people had steady, stable jobs, and the next day businesses were closed. One day people were free to move about, and the next day they were hunkered down, sort of, because of the pandemic. Well, uh, life is full of unknowns. How many of you know that? You know, uh, used to be when you talked to somebody about what they're going to do tomorrow, they would say, well, I'm going to do so and so, if the Lord's willing. Well, so we've somehow, in, in large ways, and I'm guilty as well, We have uh, dropped that, if the Lord is willing, and we just need to remember that, hey, quickly we can remember that things do change uh, very fast, okay? Mr. Jack, here's your book. I just see you back there uh, looking around. I'm sorry. Uh, Page 22 and 23 is where we're starting, okay? Uh, Everybody else good? Ms. J.O., you got a book? Okay, good. Well... uh, our days, our days can change rather quickly. How many of you know that? One phone call away from uh, heartbreak, one phone call away from heartache, and as a matter of that, we really just one step away from being a cripple. Because if we were to, if we were to slip and fall or something, and I'm not trying to scare you, it's just the fact that much of our life is full of uncertainty and uh, lack of security. Well, today we're looking at 1 John chapter 2 verse 3 to 6 first, and uh, he says, This is how we know that we know Him, if we keep His commands. The one who says, I have come to know Him, and yet doesn't keep His commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now, I want to uh, stop just a moment. I want you to think about what you just read uh, in your mind and what I just read to you verbally. There were a few phrases there that are repeated Uh, a few times, okay? And you probably caught on to that as we were reading. Notice how he talks about we know, and we're going to find that throughout the book quite a bit. Uh, So uh, other things we'll talk about as we move uh, through it. Now the writer said in this short passage, John used the word know four times. In this short passage, section of verses, okay? Now, uh, when we see that, or when we read that, uh, He wants us to have the assurance of uh, not a, a hope-so salvation, but a no so salvation. I have to confess to you, my years, uh, my early years of life, and when I say early, I'm talking about my teenage years and my first years in the twenties. Uh, I, I was one of those hope so guys, okay? And the reason I say that is because I wasn't aware of what the Scriptures had really or, or were really teaching. Now, I'd always went to a Bible believing church, uh, never missed many Sundays because of mom and dad. But the reality is, I didn't really open the book up and see what it really said. And now that we become studious or students of the Word, we begin to see that these realities are there. And John, in these five chapters of First John, will use these terms or these phrases multiple times. Verse 3 again, this is how we know that we know Him. Two times, real quickly, he had already talked about we know that we know Him. Now, the right conditions for a Christian to have the assurance of his or her relationship with God results from walking in obedience, out of, not out of legalism, but out of gratitude for what our Lord has given us. Notice, this is a conditional thing according to verse 1. The way that we know we know Him has much to do with how we walk, what we do how we talk. It says, if we do His commands. Now, if we're not a people of the book, if we're not following the commands of our Lord Jesus, or let us say even the dictates of His Word, we cannot help uh, but have lost our sense of hope uh, of being saved. Why? Because if we're not being like Him, that's one of the first things that will cause us not to sense our security. Now our security should not be in the church alone. Our security should not be in uh, what we say alone. Our security needs to be in what we do, because He says there, if we keep His commands. So we can write it down, and we can put a big number one there, that if we're going to have the assurance that we belong to Jesus, we have got to be a people of the Word. We've got to understand and live out what God says for us to be doing. Now, He gives us an illustration in verse 4. He said, The one who says, I've come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, Folks, I I don't want to make anyone feel uh, bad. I'm not here to humiliate anybody or bring up bad things. But we can talk about being baptized when we were six or sixteen, all we want to. But if we've lived a hellacious life from the time then until the time that we're called home to glory, and we haven't been uh, issuing or believing the commands of God, uh, the Scripture said that's one of those "say so" salvation, but He says if we're not keeping the commands, that we're really lying. We're not representing the truth there, and it is evidence that the truth is not in us. I'm not judging anybody. Please understand that is not one of my jobs. I have people ask me quite often various things, and I'll tell them in a hurry. Hey, I don't know if someone is saved. Well, my daddy said he was baptized when he was so-and-so, but he hadn't borne any fruit of that. Well, you, you've got to talk to dad about that if you can, or you've got to settle that in your mind. I've had friends whose, uh, whose uh, parents have died, and they would not leave them the assurance there that they were saved, and uh, those kids have largely struggled with that because what the parent would say was not lining up with what the Lord would say. And that's a pretty disturbing place to be as I see it, okay? Have you met anyone that they were similar to that? That they wanted to name the name over here, but forget about that name until they come down here somewhere way down there in life? Hey, I'm glad that God is the one who knows who is saved and who isn't. And I'm sure God doesn't leave it to Baptist preachers to be discerning about that. Because, hey, I can only take people at face value. So, so here we find uh, that he's talking about not just uh, a, a casual obedience, but the writer on the page 23 calls it, calls it consistent compliance with the Word of God. Yes, we're not going to be perfect. Yes, we will falter. Yes, uh, there will be slips in our life. We will miss the target sometimes. But hey, he's talking about a natural, consistent lifestyle that is according to his word is what we have here. The writer asked a question on the bottom of page 23. He said, what do you find challenging About walking in Jesus' footsteps. What do you find challenging about that? Number one is challenging because we think that we got to be perfect, we got to be sinless. As As the old preacher said, we can't be sinless, but we sure can sin a lot less. And being challenged to walk like Jesus walked. Now, if we're not reading the Word, if we have not saturated our minds and hearts with the Gospels, you know, we need to go back and we need to see what Jesus walk was like, do we not? Now, uh, in verse number 5, he said, "...whoever keeps his Word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him." Notice, can you keep seeing it? He's, he's telling us, we know, we know, we know. This is how we know, he says, in this verse, that we are in Him. I hope today that you have an assurance of your relationship with the Lord Jesus. I hope you're not just one of those who thinks if your good outweighs your bad, that the Lord will let you go to his place in my Father's house are many mansions. Hey, we're going there not because of what we do. We can go there because of what He did. But because of what He did, we likewise, when we surrender our lives to Him, we should be like Him. And then that way John says we can know. Page 24, the very top of the page. The one who says I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I I very seldom, if ever, call people a liar. Now they gotta be purely blatant liars and, and gotta be accused me of something for me to call them a liar. But now John says, and it's the Holy Spirit who gives inspiration for the scriptures. John reminds us, the ones who aren't keeping His commands, but say they are His, He said they're lying. So with that in mind, we look at verse five and verse six says, "The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked." Now on page 24, again, the love of, or the love for God, is reflecting through gracious obedience to the commands. If you desire to obey the Word out of gratitude for all Christ has done for you, and if you see that desire producing an overall pattern of obedience, then you have no reason to doubt your salvation. Your relationship with God is reflected in how you live. Now, the writer brought up the thought there about doubting your salvation. I believe at some point, Most people have doubted that at some point in their life. Now, thankfully, we didn't dwell on it because we know it's a settled truth already. And we don't have time to go into all of that. The Scripture says, When we receive Christ, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and they're sealed there, according to Ephesians chapter 1. They're sealed until the eternal day of redemption. Now, if for no other reason, boy, that's pretty assuring, isn't it? Those who have come to know Jesus. Now, there are many things that could cause us not to feel that assurance at all times. And when I say many things, sin in our life, despising other people, you know, we've got to be forgiving and loving. So there's a lot of things. But the thing that he discussed here in these first verses is that because we're not living like Jesus lived. Okay? Is that demanding perfection before we go on? In order to stay saved, do we have to be perfect? Thank God, no. But I'll tell you what, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And somebody says, well, I, I confess my sin every night. I think we ought to even confess it more frequently, and that is when we do it, we ought to, Confess it, and the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, now notice we're not missing any verses. It's verse by verse in this study today. He said, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command which is true in him and in you, because because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now you got to think on that last phrase, haven't you? We're not taught in any other textbook that darkness can blind your eyes, are we? But, The Scripture says, and when He's making reference to darkness, He's talking about sinfulness. He's talking about the way of the world. And He says what happens, these ways blind us. They darken the eyes. I know we're not reading in the King James. I don't have my Bible open to verse 7. I love how He opens it here with dear friends. You know, the, the Bible calls or, or the Lord calls us many things. He calls us sons of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. He calls us brothers and sisters. Here in this verse, we're being called friends, not just friends of one another, but friends of God. And now we're being told it's nothing new. Now remember, he's writing to a bunch of people largely a group of people who had a a scriptural heritage of some kind. They knew the law. They they knew what uh, the books of the law said, and therefore there is a uh, conclusion that is stated before he gets in the depth of this when he says that this is not a new commandment. He said this is from the beginning Now, the thought or the subject of love. The writer said it appears 24 times in the 105 verses that make up this letter. Now, if you go home, you count that. Come back and give me the correct number. I'm fine with that. Uh, But what we see, love is a theme. Matter of fact, someone wrote a song. What was it? Love is the theme. Love is supreme. Boy, it's been a long time since I sung that somewhere. But it's not a new thing. It's been there from the beginning. He said love is an old command mentioned in the Old Testament law, Leviticus 19, 17, Le- uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 5. You remember there was a uh, young one came to him one day and wanted to know what the greatest commandment was? How many of you remember what He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what he was quoting there? Old Testament. Isn't it amazing how Jesus always would use Scripture, or what we call law, to substantiate what largely He was speaking to in the Gospels Largely, He was speaking to Jews, not in every case. But what we find there is He gave uh, there what was according to the law. So as we look at that, He uh, reminds us again there that the old command is the word you have heard. In other words, they might not have owned a scroll and have read it, But surely they had heard it read at the temple or at the various festivals. And at that time there were already some synagogues, so they had probably been in one of the synagogues and heard this. And he said, hey, this is not old. This is something that you've heard already. Now, John 13 and 34, I'm looking at the writer's notes. He said, and he quotes, I give you a new command, love one another just excuse me, love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now boy, that really messes up some theology there, doesn't it? Why? Because in the church, do you realize that we have people in churches, and I'm not saying this church, but I'm talking about people in local churches, they might be flesh and blood brothers and sisters, but they won't even talk to one another. I remember my first church I pastored, we had it. We didn't have four sections of pews, we had two sections. Sisters would come in, one would sit on the right, and one would sit on the left, never to speak to one another. they both dead and gone now. But my thought is that, praise the Lord, their kids will talk to one another. But hey, the Lord said that don't add up. You can't hate one another. Well, if you're gonna know that you know Him, if you have assurance of salvation, He's telling us that we must love one another. Now, as I'm looking at verse nine again, the one who says He is in the light, but hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness until now. Now, again, remember. What we say versus what we do confuses a lot of people, doesn't it? But who does it really confuse the most? should be confusing us the most. You know, I had me some good lemonade yesterday. And I also put me about a half tea in it. The lemonade was good and the tea was good, but that, that was not a pure drink there. Lemons, lemons come out bitter, do they not? You know, a a lemon tree's not going to bear an apple. And I know y'all all know that. But likewise, a, a person who belongs to the Lord is not going to be consistently living in bitterness and hatred. Why? Because we are to be walking as Jesus walked. He said, When God's children choose to love, they walk in the light, and darkness flees. The light John referred to is God's kingdom, which is inaugurated at Jesus' first coming. The true light is already shining. Jesus is the light of the world, John 8 and 12, and His kingdom is characterized by both light and love. Our our love for God and for others is proof that we're citizens of His kingdom. Somebody could ask you, or somebody, I've, I've heard the thought there, somebody said, is there anybody you don't love? The old preacher said, well, there's nobody I don't love, but there's a few close calls. Some people try to make themselves unlovable. Have you ever been around them? But you still love them. You know, the reality of of love being able to conquer all. It may not conquer all, but you can go out into eternity having known that you tried your best to love every individual, even when they're unlovable. As citizens of Christ's kingdom of light, we push back the darkness when we walk in love. Now, I'm so glad, honestly. Oh, I'm so glad to tell you that it it is wonderful to be in a place and serve with a people that if they don't love one another, they've got it hid from me. Now, there's some friends easier to love than others, and it doesn't mean because you have closer friends here or closer doesn't mean that you don't love them. You know, I wonder if Jesus' disciples ever thought about, well, He loves Peter, James, and John more than He loves us. You remember, He would always carry them to those special events, I call it. But who who did Jesus love out of them twelve? He loved all twelve of them, didn't He? He wasn't showing partiality, although some would like to equate that. Okay, on page 26, now we are uh, skipping a couple of three verses here because he moves us into verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world, with its lust, is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Preacher? He means don't love the world. I thought he created the world. And when he got through, he said it is good. He didn't mean don't love the created world don't love the world, which is symbolic of the system that we're living in. In my short lifetime, I'll tell you, it has become more confusing every year I've lived when you begin to look at the system that is guiding this world and the nations. well, I tell you what, it's in a mess, isn't it? The Lord said, we're not to be in love with the system. We're not to be in love with those who are, who are guiding all of this process? But he said here, that all is passing away. He said, if you love the world, if you, he said, if you're so earthly attached to everything around you, that's a good sign that you don't belong to Him. I love, I love the world. I, when I say the world, I love the created world, the cosmos. I, I love it. But, man, the the system in which we're being guided by is ever more polluted than it has ever been, and it's shining more like that every day, isn't it? Wow. The America, even, that we're living in has no comparison to where we were 50 years ago. Someone said it don't have no... than where we were 10. Well, that's true, too, but talking about the world. There is a limit to what, or a limit in what we are to love. We're not to love the world or the things in the world. He's not referring to the people who inhabit the planet. It would be a glaring contradiction to what we've just studied. John was talking about the organized evil system of darkness that encompasses the world. And if we don't understand what he's talking about there, he breaks it down into three simple truths there. He talks about the lust of the flesh. This, he said, is the desire for selfish pleasure, the person who cares more about himself than others. If you live in in such a small world as that, boy, you are very disappointed. Matter of fact, this world can operate without you And without me, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh. Is it not true that many people's lives are guided simply by things? About what can I get that's bigger? What can I get that's better than someone else? You know, we used to talk about keeping up with the Joneses Ain't no Joneses in here, are they? Let's just be able to understand. We have, we have even, uh, uh, we've even expanded that. Basically, if we're not careful, we're always, if we're not careful, notice how I said it, wanting something that we don't have. Well, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The writer said, This type of temptation is tied to the greeting, longing, for gain, always wanting more, but never satisfied. Someone asked the landowner, the wealthiest landowner, the largest landowner in a particular county one day, he said, How much land is enough? Haven't you got enough? He said, Well, I only want all that it attaches to mine. You know, and that sometimes is the attitude of people, is it? And I'm not being critical of Of things, I'm not jealous of nobody for what they have. But when do we decide that, hey God, let me me count my blessings. If God keeps giving, it' wonderful. But let's not be lusting after what we see. Now if you don't believe that is an operational truth, just watch commercials on TV. Have you ever saw them go to so much depth to try to convince you that you needed something. Seriously, just just I'm not talking about X rated stuff. I'm just talking about stuff, you know. It's crazy. And then he said, not only the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, but he in the King James it says the pride of life. Now, the writer here says pride in one's possessions. This temptation refers to any and the love of popularity, recognition, and applause. Now, I always do it, but I'm going to ask you to do it. Go back to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, today or tomorrow, and take when Jesus was in the mount of temptation after His baptism. Forty days and forty nights there, if I remember right. Go back and take these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, and see how that Satan, the adversary, when he attacked or challenged the Lord in that time of the Mount of, of Temptation, he, he, he challenged him in all three of these areas. That's why the Hebrew letter says, we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Because he was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. You say, I've not understood those points, all points like we are. I think he's referring to these three things here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because that's where Satan tempted Jesus. Command these stones to be made bread. You think Jesus was hungry? He could have ate a foot tub full of it at that time. He was fasting. Hey, look out over there. I'll give you all these things. You think Jesus would have taken that from him? He, man, he owned it all. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He said, now let me tell you something, Jesus. If you'll do all of this, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you, he said... Think about the knee being bended. I'll give you all these things. You can make your bread. And as a result of that, what we know is he hit him below the belt the last time, didn't he? Just look out these kingdoms. Jump off of this rock. Even the angels will guard you. Why? The psalmist said they would. Well, thank you so much. Those of you who are listening by YouTube, let me tell you, next week we're going to study the subject of sure of the truth. And we're going to be looking uh, at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 21. Thank you. God bless you. And especially you folks with me this morning. Praise the Lord. Uh, Good study here that we're in. Things we can know.